back to Expectation versus Reality. This hey, is hey. part two of David Cronenberg's The Brood. I'm Nate. And I'm Tanner. And we just watched The Brood for the first time. Yay. This 70s. is your your second Cronenberg film after the fly. This yeah. is like my like eighth. No. <laughs> it's like my like fifth. So neither of us were in any way, shape, or form correct. No. Not even close. That being said, so Tanner, I'd like to know point blank, what what did you think of the movie, just like overall, your overall thoughts on it. Overall, like we just watched it like maybe, just ended like fifteen minutes ago. Yeah. Overall, I'd say that it was definitely memorable. It wasn't crap. There were a couple things that bothered me about it, but given some leniency with the time period and this and the budget that they had after after the research that we had, how much was their budget? Yeah. So um, whenever they shot it, they shot it for one point five million Canadian or one point two million American in nineteen seventy nine. Or they would have probably shot it in, like, you know, 78 or 77. Yeah, editing and all that. Which rounded it for today, uh, or rather compared to 2017, I think is the calculator that I found, is only about $4.1 million. Yeah. So it's not a terrible amount of money, but, you know, given the time period and... Here, we will, we will actively look for this. So, Tanner, tell me a pretty crap horror movie that's come out in the last... Three years, that like, three but years. not like a paranormal activity because those are made with like a hundred grand or something. Yeah, uh, hmm. a movie that I'm not a fan of or just crap in general. Eh, so either or. Let's see. Uh, you know what? Let's go with one that came out a while ago that wasn't crap that was really good. Let's do Dog Soldiers. All right, I like Dog Soldiers. For those of you that aren't aware, Dog Soldiers is an excellent movie. It's uh, is it Irish or Scottish? I think it's Irish. Um, Scottish Highlands. Scottish Highlands, okay. Yeah, director Neil Marshall, who was directing yeah. the new Hellboy and also directed The Descent, yeah. which is <laughs> one of the best horror movies of the 2000s. Yeah, yeah. The Dog Soldiers is a werewolf movie. It's awesome. We don't want to get too much into it because that's not what we're talking about today. I'm just trying to fill time while Nate researches Yeah, we've both bit. seen it, so we're not going to be covering it on the podcast. So God, it's good. Go ahead and look at it. They made this for five million pounds. For werewolf, the werewolf, the dog, dog soldiers, five million pounds in two thousand two. Nice. So probably about you know six million pounds. So seven point five million American. Yeah. Don't do the math on that. I just kind of threw that out. Yeah. Don't. I mean, you can, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um. I actually liked the brood. I did. Yeah. I think that it definitely suffers from being made in the seventies. I think that the editing's a little slow in ways that it didn't need to be. Yeah. There's definitely some. Without jumping some genres here, there's definitely some uh, easy rider flaws here. Yeah, and I think that um, you can be a slow burn in horror, and usually it's it's very very good, like The Shining or Hereditary, are mm-hmm. both ridiculously slow in certain aspects, but there's still something going. And I think that with this movie, there wasn't a lot until we started being able to piece things together. Yeah, it's like they just kept feeding you these little bits and pieces of what was going on, but it wasn't often enough uh, there was there was enough to keep you interested but there wasn't enough to make you want to just keep watching it yeah but i will say that the the plot was good i couldn't find any good. and i couldn't find very many holes if any at all yeah and i think that also for me because i mean I'm, I'm always looking at foreshadowing and whatever yeah. i write and i thought that the fact that i was kind of able to figure out what was going on well enough yeah. was I thought was was a positive. I mean it's gonna make me sound super pompous, but I like movies where I can figure out the twist, but only like maybe five minutes beforehand. Yeah. 
Like, uh, spoiler alert for a movie that came out almost a decade ago, maybe? Pandorum. Oh, yeah. Which Ooh. I really like. Mm. Uh, but I did not watch... It came out in 2000... So, oh, good gravy. That was 10 years ago. <laughs> are, we, are we old, Tanner? Yeah, we're old. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Pandorum, which is... It's okay. I don't think it's my favorite. I think there's a lot of really missed opportunities in that movie, but... I really liked Pandorum. You know, massive spoiler for a 10-year-old movie... There's a sequence where, like, there's this whole B story with Dennis Quaid and this dude, and they're talking about, like, different things about, should we do this thing? Should we do that thing? And I remember sitting there, and I was like, you know, it would be really cool if he was just talking to himself, and that was his younger version of himself that he's talking to, just imagining. And then that was, like, happened, like, literally 30 seconds later. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, because uh, it, it makes me feel good. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're smart. You figured out things. But they just hid the puzzle pieces yeah. there. And it's, it's really good. And I think that this movie did that very, very well. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, again, we're suffering from 1970s horroritis here. And putting that aside, it was, it was a really good film. I mean, I was entertained for the most part. I mean, I'm exhausted today, so I might have dozed a little bit. But it was a good film. For yeah. all intents and purposes, the shots were great. The you know them setting up where we were with all the, you know hey this is where we're going to be doing this. This is the school. This is the uh, this is the place where this in particular character I don't want to get into it till we do the synopsis is going to be you know doing their thing and then mm-hmm. the other parts et cetera et cetera. It was it was yeah. good. Well, I think it's it's good for me in the guise uh, or in the realm of temperate expectations because this movie is from the seventies. Yes. I feel like going into it raw, there's definitely some very big problems with it, but I think that there are problems that were common for the seventies that if this movie was made now, or even if it would have been made five, five years later, it would not, it wouldn't be there. Yeah. I feel like there's a reason that I hadn't heard about this until a couple months ago. Yeah. I I feel like there's a reason that this isn't a classic. Yeah. I mean, scanners got famous because of the head exploding scene, but the first movie that anyone is like, Oh, yeah, David Cronenberg is usually Videodrome. Yeah. And I think there's a reason for it. It was a couple of movies under his belt and the point where he was able to be like, all right, this is what I'm going to be as a filmmaker. So just, I mean, just to put my opinion out there, I'm going to ask you for yours, too. Yeah. I really liked the ideas in this movie. Definitely. The, the whole, because, again, like, we're, like we usually do in all of our, on all these episodes, we're going to get into the synopsis, hopefully. But... The idea behind it, the bulk of the movie and the bulk of the plot was an excellent idea. And I feel like it's a really good writing prompt, if anything. Yeah, and well, and I think it paid off. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. I mean, like I said, with Scanners, it's a lot of the whole, like, what, is, what can we do with our brains? Like, what can our brains do? And I think that, and the video drum kind of has that. Yeah. And this movie definitely has that. Is like, what, what is the human brain capable of, especially yeah, under severe trauma? What are we capable of doing without actually being aware of being able to do it? Yeah. So, I want to show, shout out to, uh, well, not shout out, but I want to point out one particular thing that I thought was really cool for what we do. Yeah. Because we always watch... You know, we watch the trailers and then we watch the movie, mm-hmm. and it's really important. Come to find out, the trailer that we watched, the American trailer, which yeah. I believe is the one that we watched, was cut by Joe Dante. Now, Joe Dante yeah. is the guy that directed Inner Space, Gremlins, Small Soldiers, The Howling. This dude's a <laughs> good, legend. He's good a stuff. legendary yeah, that's horror a, director. That's a hell of a list. <laughs> I grew up on Small Soldiers, man. Yeah, he also apparently directed a, a parody film called Silence of the Hams. <laughs> 
I don't which, even care. We need to go find that right which now. Which has <laughs> Dom DeLuise and Billy Zane. Oh my goodness, this is going on my watch list. Be, be aware of future and, episodes. And John Aston, <laughs> Phyllis Diller, what is this movie? <laughs> Just say Chorus Leachman and we'll be okay. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, this is getting added. This is a 4.7 on IMDb and I don't care. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, I'll go ahead and get into the synopsis and we'll kind of just pick things apart as they go. I'm going to be using the IMDb synopsis. It's a little lengthy, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, and just to defend my point of view, I'm not good with movies and this coming out in the late 70s, or I'm not good with names, excuse me, and this coming out within the late 70s, I'm going to be even worse. So excuse me if I mix some names up. All right, so at the Soma Free Institute, Dr. Hal Raglan humiliates humiliates his patient Mike by saying you're just a weak person. Uh, you must have gotten that from their mother. Your mother, you probably would have been better for you if you'd been born a girl. Blah, 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 blah. On a dimly lit stage, Raglan demands a demonstration of anger and Mike reveals angry red blotches covering his torso that seem to get bigger and like ooze. Yeah, that was a good, that was a good, good effect, yeah. Yeah, because if you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't notice that these things, like every time they cut to the subject, mm-hmm. Mike, he has more sores on him, and they're worse. Yeah, they just kept get, pr- getting progressively worse. And mm-hmm. at this point, I realized that my synopsis that I had for planning was completely out the window. I yeah. was wrong. I mean, we were both horrifically wrong, yeah. so it's fine. <laughs> so the audience gasps, and Raglan announces that this is psychoplasmics. Now, they didn't explain this very well. I had to look in the synopsis of the movie to get this information, but apparently it is... The physical manifestation of mental rage by the appearance of welts on one's body. Yeah. I don't think this is real. I'm not, I, I didn't research it because, like, we just watched the movie. Yeah, we just watched the movie, so. I really hope it's not real because if it is, that's really trippy, man. I don't want to think yeah. about that. Anyways, so, meanwhile, Frank Carveth collects his nine-year-old daughter, Candy, from a private guest room at the facility. Candy wears a red coat with fur trim and a hood. Bathing her, Frank finds bruises and scratches on her back. He drives to the Soma Free Institute to confront Raglan and basically demands to see his wife, Nola, who has been committed there after she suffered a nervous breakdown. And it was weird to me because at first I thought that that opening scene with the two, with Dr. Raglan and Mike, was a play that they were attending. Yeah, it does come off as kind of like avant-garde theater. Because it really seemed like it was a like it was a theater piece, and it just kept on going. And I, I thought that it was a theater piece for the majority of the movie until I realized that no, oh, this is this is how he does therapy, and he was just doing it in front of a room of people to prove to, for a proof of concept. Yeah, it's a demonstration of how it so, works. Yeah, Frank accuses Nola of abusing their daughter and says that he'll stop Candy's next visit. Raglan threatens legal action if Frank withholds a vital part of Nola's treatment. Frank then goes to his lawyer who tells him that Nola has a stronger legal position despite the fact that she's committed to a mental hospital, basically just saying the courts are always going to side with the mother. Yeah, always. So Frank says that he'll do what he has to do, and he takes Candy to her maternal grandmother, Juliana, who seems strung out, like she's drinking yeah, the she's, entire time. she's in a weird place. I was, like, this scene kind of bugged me because I was like, I get it, it's the 70s. Yeah. Like you're, you're smoking in your house, like, next to your kid. But... She was toasted, she was man. She was clearly drunk. Yeah. And she kept drinking, and it was like scotch. And Yeah, and I don't know if you caught this or not, but she just clearly, for the sake of acting, was not drinking whatever was in that glass. Yeah, it was... It, it was, was just like, oh, I'm going to tip this and act like I'm savoring this delicious smoky liquid. Yeah. I mean, no. No. Oh, um, 
Back at the Institute, Raglan goes into Nola's room. He's pretending to be Candy. A big thing with his stuff is play acting, mm-hmm. you know, role play therapy. So he asks her why she hurt. Why he's like, oh, why did you hurt me, mom? She says, mummies don't hurt their own children. Nola sobs that they do. And basically she admits that her own mother was, quote, fucked up and bad. Raglan sort of encourages her anger, telling her, go all the way through it, right to the end. Which yeah. I thought that was really interesting, sort of pointing out immediately that there's, tr- there's actual trauma in this woman. And in the scene before this, her mother talks about how children make up lies about their parents. Yeah. And like Everybody's got a sad backstory. Like yeah. She's just like, oh yeah, within 30, was it within 30 seconds you have a memory and within a minute you're, within 60 seconds you're making up lies about it? Yeah. Like, you are a sociopath. She's, yeah, she's out of it. It's either the scotch or just her being a terrible human being and I'm really one to bet it's the second one. Yeah. Uh, so that evening in Juliana's house, she investigates the noise in the kitchen. Food, juice, glasses, and dishes are thrown all over the floor. She's bludgeoned by what appears to be a small child wearing Candy's coat. Mm-hmm. As Candy watches from behind the door, a small claw-like hands leave bloodstains on the banisters. The next morning at his workplace, Frank is informed of the murder. Now, before you get too far into it, yeah. I kind of want to explore that and, yeah. what I thought about, and what I thought about that sequence in particular. Please do. Um, to... The first thing I noticed was that whatever attacked her grandmother, the alcoholic, was candy in the first part, in the fir- first thing. I thought it was candy just having a mental breakdown for some reason. Yeah. And that we were just get, seeing these weird shots and that candy was trying to, you know, look at things that she did from a third person point of view. No, and that's, that's, that's really valid, especially after... Uh, because we had no... Uh, yeah, there was no, there was no hint at what was yeah. going on. Which was great, but I mean, that, was, were, that was my idea. Yeah, you were writing on the theme of, like, hereditary illness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which comes into play a little bit in sort of, like, a, a stinger tease at the end of this movie. Yeah. But it was definitely not the way that they were going. No. No, 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 no. Not even close. The whole sequence itself is not very good. No. Again, we're at the very birth of slasher flicks. So people are, you know... Directors, Hollywood in general, is starting to learn how to do these effects. Yeah, I mean, this was five years after Black Christmas and one year after Halloween. Yeah. So this was still not a thing yet. And I think that in a lot of ways, in his later movies, Cronenberg doesn't really replicate this at all. No. And I think that that's, again, the whole thing of maturing as a filmmaker. So the next morning at his workplace, Frank is informed of Juliana's murder. The police psychologist, Dr. Burke, tells Frank to encourage Candy to remember what happened. Um, as a breakdown as possible, she doesn't remember, you know, the, the what is it, uh, stifling your memories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, her being uh, five years old, because yeah. that was mentioned in the film, too. She's mm-hmm. not even six, was, was a quote from the movie. Yeah. So. so at the Institute, Raglan speaks to Nola as her father. She quickly gets very angry, saying, you shouldn't have walked away when she hit me. Red welts start to appear on Nola's forehead as she speaks. At the local airport, Frank and, Sin- uh, Frank and Candy, rather, Meet Barton Kelly, Nola's estranged father, who's come in for his ex-wife's funeral. Mm-hmm. At our meeting of him, he seemed like a much more normal, real human being at the beginning. Yeah, you get the you get the impression that his, I mean, his so his his wife was abusive, mm-hmm. and you know you know Nola says like you know why did you let her hit me? I think that it was very very probable that she was also abusive to him. Yeah. And again, it's the 70s, so nobody's going to believe that the woman... Yeah, nobody's going to want to talk about that. You know, he talks about how he still has the keys to the house and that his ex-wife made a big deal about having never changed the locks Yeah. In their, after their entire divorce. 
Yeah. I mean, to me, that says that she is not intimidated or afraid of him or has any kind of, you know, feelings of positivity towards this man. Like, if you want to come solve some things, let's go. So, let's come solve some things. You oh, know, see, I took it the other way. way. I think I took it the other way is that she was like, oh, yeah, you're going to come back eventually. So why would I bother changing? Or that. That's just as good. I just figured if we were taking it from an abusive standpoint, like she oh, was yeah. just going to well, be yeah, like, no, I mean, you're, you're welcome to come back. You know, whenever you're in an abusive relationship, you know, you're, whenever you leave, it's, oh, no, you're going to come back and you're yeah. going to come back crawling. Yeah. You know? yeah. Mm. Anyway, so at the advice of his lawyer, Frank visits Jan Hartog, who is an ex-soma free patient taking legal action against Dr. Raglan. Uncovering a row of tumors on his neck, Hardog says bitterly, Raglan encourages my body to revolt against me, and it did. I have a small revolution on my hands, and I'm not putting it down very successfully. He came off as mentally ill at first. Well, to be fair, I mean, he was being treated at the Summer Free Institute, so he would the, be... I mean, very mentally ill. Yeah. Like, a much, much, much more than, than what he actually was. Yeah. You know, it's the whole victim that you don't believe because what they're saying is so crazy. And then yeah, the guy on the corner yelling about space aliens and yeah. reptilians and crap. Yeah, yeah. The um, oh, what is it? The dude in the trailer in Independence Day. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> I played, told you so. It's played by Randy Quaid. <laughs> uh, so back at the institute, a drunk Barton Kelly, um, so the father, uh, the father-in-law rather, arrives and is furious when Raglan will not allow him to see Nola. Meanwhile, Frank arrives at Candy's school where her teacher, Ruth Mayer, sits with her. Candy invites Ruth to dinner at her house. That evening, Ruth arrives and has dinner with Frank and Candy. A little later, Barton calls Frank from Juliana's house, saying that he needs Frank to help see Nola. Frank leaves Ruth babysitting Candy, who then picks up a book to read that is titled The Shape of Rage, Raglan's book on psychoplasmics. I like the cover. Yeah, I did too. (laughs) So at Juliana's house... Barton is alone with the same small figure wearing a hooded red raincoat, emerges from under the bread under the bed and batters him with a very gory death with a pair of paperweights. This is another not very good death scene. Yeah, it was it was uh, weird. Frank arrives a few minutes later to find the body, and the strange looking child jumps on him like some aggressive animal, clawing at him until suddenly it falls off his back on the floor and seemingly dies. I didn't know what to think about that until the following scene, which I'm sure we'll touch on. But the the death scene, the first two death scenes we get are, God, they hammed it up. Yeah, it was not very good. I think that, but this is something that I pointed out in the death scene after this one, Mm -hmm. is that all the murders in this movie take place with physical blunt force trauma. Yeah. And it sort of simulates the idea of, pent-up rage and impotent rage. Mm-hmm. So like the rage that you would have as a child towards an abusive parent. Yeah, there was a lot of primal emotion in those in mm-hmm. those attacks. Uh, there really wasn't any any kind of sharp objects or any kind of objects like a gun or anything like yep. that. It was, it was all blunt instruments to mm-hmm. do all of it. So at Juliana's house, Barton is alone, da-da-da-da, dies, da-da-da-da. Sorry, I lost my place. Oh, yeah. So Frank picks up the phone and calls the police. Back at Frank's house, Ruth Mayer answers a phone call from Nola calling from the Institute, who then goes into berserk rage when Ruth answers the phone and suspects that she's having an affair with her husband. At the police station, Frank gives his statement and then meets the pathologist who performed the autopsy on the mysterious child creature that attacked him, where the doctor tells him that the creature died simply because it, quote, ran out of gas. Or, more likely, its batteries expired. So here's something that I enjoy in movies all the time and it's a Guillermo del Toro thing (laughs) and I can't remember in which documentary I read or I watched he says it but Guillermo del Toro has said multiple times that anytime that you have a movie monster if you can help it 
put an autopsy scene in. That's a great quote. Because it makes you believe it. Yeah. If you think about like any of like the movies that Del Toro has done with that, that he was mm-hmm. able to do that. So he wasn't really able to do that in like Shape of Water I or wish Pan's he would Labyrinth have. or anything like that. <laughs> in The Shape of Water. Yeah. Well, The Shape of Water, there was only one creature. So if you killed yeah. it, that's the movie. Um, but like Blade 2, mm-hmm. there's that really cool sequence where they're doing the autopsy on the yeah, vampires. The and they pull yeah. out the, the throat and it mm-hmm. just keeps coming. And it's like, uh, the autopsy scene in Hellboy with the uh the clockwork nazi dude oh god yeah what's his i forget his name it's i don't want to say klaus but i don't know it's something very it's very very german i god i love that character um i'm trying to think if there's any like what other del toro movies there were i know that there's one in his script for out the mountains of madness i really i god i am so disappointed that that didn't get made you know why it didn't get made prometheus I know because prometheus is just at the mountains of madness but bad yeah I just want the scary penguins. I mean, there's statues of them. Have you seen the statues? Yes, I, that's, yeah, they're, they're I, so cool. I, God, I love that book, and I just want the scary, weird, naked penguins. Anyways, so, uh, but yeah, you always want to include an autopsy scene, and this autopsy scene is really cool. He's like, Yeah, you know the one thing that I, that I do not like in movies? Hmm. The use of weird color filters. Yeah, like it's purple. And it I, made no sense. Like, I was like, why are they in a dark room? Yeah, why would you be in a dark room for an autopsy? Quit it. Just light it normally, or if anything, just dim it down or something. Like it, it was, it's like, uh. I guarantee quit. you, the reason why is because it looked super fake unless they put the color filter on it. That, yeah, that's that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, that's like, a workaround. God. It's. It I is. mean, I agree that it's it's a problem, but whatever. Uh, so the creature um, has weird eyes. Like it has, uh, what is it? Irises, but no retinas. Mm-hmm. So like anything that it sees is really distorted. And it only sees in black and white. Yeah, it probably only sees in black and white. It has no sexual organs and no navel, so the creature was never really born. At least not in the way that human beings are normally born. Yeah. And I think this is the point where I was like, oh, this is a creature that's born out of her rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we had another SpongeBob reference. Because, like, I like the whole thing. Yeah, another SpongeBob <laughs> the reference. SpongeBob budding reference. <laughs> there are, like, I'm going to start rewatching SpongeBob because I've, I've done a little bit of it. The Fred the Fish, he has an like, interesting, like, arc. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. You know, it's like the whole thing with uh, the Simpsons and the McBain thing. Yeah. yeah. Where, like, if you put them together, there's actually, like, a weird, like, five minute mini movie. Uh, but, yeah, like, my wife can't stand SpongeBob, so, like, I'll, I have to watch it by myself or, like, with my daughter. Yeah, there's a ludicrous amount of God. SpongeBob Cronenberg references. There's so many. Like, I really want to find like where all of them are, but it's fine. Maybe if we ever do like YouTube content, I can do like a here's the top ten SpongeBob Sponge- Cronenberg references. It's yeah, weird. God. Well, there is that episode where they all end up in like a mush together. Oh, because what was it? Yeah. What was it? It's the where they all are doing whatever and he's like and I just remember like Squidward's in like therapy and he's like it all started when I was born and, and they slipped over and they're all else. like mushed into like one creature and then one of them in particular had like this terrible look on their face that like they, they were, were just in, in so much pain yeah oh what I can't remember I can't remember that what is, episode why? that was I mean that's early Spongebob so that was back whenever Spongebob was like really good yeah okay anyways you're <laughs> off on a SpongeBob. ridiculous tangent welcome to Spongebob cast <laughs> But yeah, this whole sequence, it's like, it only sees in black and white. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, yeah, because it's a child. Good yeah. things are good, bad things are bad. That's it. Yeah. So, Raglan as Ruth Mayer this time. Did you mention the, the, the 
yoke sack in between the shoulder oh, no, blades. Yeah, yeah. The, so why don't, you, why don't you tell us about that? So the doctor also mentions in during the autopsy scene that this creature has a sort of yoke sack, almost like an egg would in between its shoulder blades. And it just appears to be completely empty. So that's how it ran out of gas or its batteries just expired, quote unquote. Yeah. And that was really unsettling to me. And it got even worse as the movie got longer. Yeah, well, and I think that fits in sort of the metaphor of rage and that eventually rage does just kind of peter out. Yeah. So Raglan, as Ruth Mayer this time, speaks to Nola and Raglan slash Ruth says that Frank will divorce Nola and marry her. The jealous Nora screams to leave Frank alone. And then Frank gets home from the police station. Ruth leaves in a hurry. He finds Candy cowering in the corner of her bedroom after a nightmare. He tells her that the thing is dead. Why is Raglan, like, sicking this woman? He's sicking the creatures on... Yeah. Because at this point, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're piecing things together, you can tell that, like, the things that Nola is mad at mm-hmm. get these things sent after her. It seemed to me like it was complete negligence on Raglan's part. See, I wonder if he was confirming a, hy- a hypothesis, but just in the most sociopathic way possible. Yeah, like, he just has zero regard for human life. He's like, my, my idea is correct. I just need enough evidence to prove it. Yep. Yeah. So the next morning, Raglan speaks about Barton Kelly's murder, or he reads about it rather. Taking a gun from his desk, he instructs his assistant Chris to get to the, all the patients to get all the patients out of the institute. Meanwhile, Frank visits the hospital where Mike is now a fellow patient of Hartog's, and is told that Nola is the only patient left at Soma Free. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike becomes angry about being dumped by his quote daddy. His face becomes one giant red sore. Yeah. I feel really bad for this dude. I yeah, I felt like. Don't get me wrong, his, he was hamming it up a little bit. Yeah. But that was expected. Yeah, it, it, it was believable in that sort of elevated movie sense. Yeah. So, but I did feel bad for him, too, yeah. Frank takes Candy to school. In Ruth Meyer's, uh, Ruth Meyer's art class, two children creatures in pastel coats with hoods pick up hammers and beat Ruth mercilessly to a gory death. This bothered me. This was the first sequence in this movie that I think was genuinely good. Yeah. And I realize that it's halfway through the movie. It, and so, like, I, yeah. I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, this is the point where the movie gets good. But I mean, like, this sequence is really cool. Yeah. Because you never see their faces up until right before they're going to kill her. And so you're just watching, like, the girl. And she looks, Candy looks really upset. And she's mm-hmm. you know, like, what, what's going on? Is she traumatized? There's a bunch of other kids running around. And then you notice there's these two kids in rain jackets. With their hoods up. That are just standing there. Oh, this is going to be bad. Yeah. It keeps building the tension and they pick up little hammers again, blunt force instruments, and then they beat her to death. And yeah. it's the first genuinely like disturbing death too. Because, yeah. Because like, it they, was like, they drew it out. They yeah. drew it out for a long time. And her corpse also looked really, really good. Like the, the effects on it, like it looked yeah. like a brutal beating. Whereas yeah. I felt like the grandparents bodies weren't. Yeah. They just looked good. like they were just painted in red and yeah. it just, it, Alerted by a boy's cries for help, Frank enters the classroom to find Ruth dead and Candy gone. At the Institute, Raglan wakes Nola. She relates a dream that Candy was coming back to her and says that she doesn't feel threatened by Ruth Mayer anymore. So Nola, like, she feels better as a result of these killings, but yeah. she doesn't know that they're happening. So at the same time, Candy's being led along a snowy highway by the two creatures. That evening, Mike turns up at Frank's doorstep, raving about the disturbed kids in the work shed, the one your wife's taking care of. Frank drives to the Soma Free Institute, where outside Raglan pulls a gun on him, saying they'll kill him if he tries to take Candy away from them. In one long monologue, Raglan tells Frank that the child creatures that have been doing all the killing are Nola's children. Nola being not their surrogate mother, but their actual mother. Yeah. 
they are the brood that name dropped. They said the thing. Yeah, they, they said the title of the movie yeah. and then the credits roll. Over the past year and a half, uh, Nola's psychoplasmics have manifested into these weird children that carry out her bidding whenever she's in an angry mood. Raglan tells Frank that Candy is locked up in the attic where the brood are being kept and that if he wants Candy back, Frank must go to Nola to convince her that she wants Candy to live with him. If he can do that, the brood will be neutral so Raglan can go to the attic and take Candy. If not, the brood will attack as long as Nola is in a rage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this we've gotten to the full explanation of what was going on in this movie. The yeah. whole mystery of it. The whole thing. What did you think of it? I... Uh I honestly liked it. I liked it a lot better than the Black Eyed Kids, no offense. Oh, no. That's and I liked it a lot better than my explanation because it was a new idea. And even though this idea came about close to 40 years ago, I'm, I still I like it. It's a great idea. Yeah, I think so, too. I was, you know, I was thinking about it. I don't think I've ever seen anything that does anything like this. Yeah. I thought that it was a, it's still a unique concept Good golly, 40 years later. Yeah, I feel like if you, would, if you could take this and turn it into something modern, it would still hit, if not harder. Yeah, it's 2019, 40 years later. Sorry, yeah. I've been counting it in my head. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I still, like, I'm, I, I liked the idea a lot. I can't really say anything negative about... Conceptually. Yeah, conceptually, I can't hey, say anything negative. So here's a really cool thing. So according to the IMDb trivia which I always enjoy reading because <laughs> it's all like bits and pieces of what everybody does and you can, whatever. Yeah. The top piece of trivia talks about how this movie was written and directed after following David Cronenberg's divorce mm-hmm. and a long custody battle. Oh. So the idea of a theme about the mother's rage and anger yeah. causing damage by proxy to her daughter is really kind of on the nose. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really, I think that's an interesting way to channel that sort of, that rage about it. Yeah. And that, that anger and that hurt, you know, especially from a position of, I don't know, David Cronenberg could be a giant piece of crap, <laughs> whatever. I'm not going to like take sides on that, but yeah. I think that taking the viewpoint that you would have as somebody trying to get custody of their child yeah. in that situation, this is a really interesting way to, to do that. While Raglan waits outside the attic door where the brooder being kept, Frank goes into Nola's room. He finds Nola rocking back and forth, wearing a white robe, and she's kind of bathed in light. Or Nola wakes from her trance-like state and seems happy that he's come to see her. Frank says that he wants to be back with her. So note from this point is that for this entire movie, Nola is, ever, is only ever shown in uh, bust shots. Yeah. You never see below, like, her sternum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... it's- it's kind of odd thinking um, back on it, but it makes sense why they did so it. So at this point, Nola throws back her white robe, revealing an umbilical cord with an external sac on her abdomen. I expected this to be a lot worse. Yeah, I did too. And I think that's because, I, I mean, I've seen Cronenberg stuff later where the psychosexuality of it and a lot of like vaginal and phallic imagery mm-hmm. exists. So I didn't expect that this was, I mean, yeah, it was really messed up looking. Yeah, it was gross but it was very tame from a perspective of what i was expecting yeah the years of the welts have appeared uh, that appeared on her chest have merged together to create this womb outside of her body that's an incubator for the brood that she produces frank recoils in horror and disgust i liked this whole sequence yeah where they're going back and forth between raglan trying to rescue candy and 
Frank talking to Nola. Yeah. And so anything that happens in the in the Frank and Nola conversation is going to have repercussions for Raglan and Candy. Yes. Because like usually in horror movies, up until like the last few people, you're punished for your mistakes. Yeah. And in this case, Raglan and Candy will be punished for Frank's mistakes. Mm-hmm. At this point, and I mean yes, Raglan shouldn't have let this happen in the first place. No. But as far as for this sequence, yeah, I any feel like mistakes he's... that Frank makes are going to be repercussions that Raglan's going to have to take in. Yeah. It was definitely creative and I like the way that they I like the way that they pulled it off. Uh, in the attic Raglan enters where all the sleeping brood are in their bunk beds. He finds Candy in one and picks her up to carry her out. Just then the brood stirs, sensing Nola's mounting anger from Frank's recoil of horror. In Nola's room, she tears open the sack, removing a bloody fetus, which she then licks clean. Uh, as an animal might after giving birth. Apparently, that was not in the script. That was the actress in the moment. Really? That is such a cool... It was hardcore. It was, and it was, it was, it was a cool sequence. It, it was. was. It was so unsettling and it disturbing. Was, and mm, It was gross. Yeah. Uh, so Frank's true feelings are basically becoming very clear to Nola in all of this, and she starts getting really, really angry. So in the attic, the brood finally becomes active, leaping on Raglan, who manages to shoot a few of them, but he gets overwhelmed and beaten to death by the brood. Candy manages to run away to a bathroom, I think, or like a side room. Yeah, yeah, or, like yeah. a room off to the side of the main room. Yeah. So upstairs, the brood then turns their attention to a pet, the petrified Candy, who runs and locks herself in the closet room in the attic. In Nola's room, she angrily tells Frank that she would rather see Candy die than let him take her away. Yeah, and that's when the brood starts to get weird. Yeah. Uh, so Frank attacks Nola and strangles her to death with his bare hands to save Candy when he hears the noises coming from the attic. When Nola stops breathing, everything's silent, and all of the brood drops. Yeah. So Frank goes upstairs to the attic to find that all the brood is, are there dead. Outside the room where Candy locked herself in, uh, realizing that the brood died without their mother's connection. Raglan is also dead nearby, having been beaten to death and lying next to a few of the brood that he managed to kill before becoming overwhelmed. Candy is quivering in a corner, and Frank enters and picks her up and tells her that he's taking her home. As Frank drives home with Candy, she seems to have withdrawn into a state of shock and cannot speak. Frank does not notice the two raised lumps on her left arm, signs of her newfound inner rage. Yeah, it was was a good tie-in. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't like one of the brood just suddenly sitting up. No. You know, it was... And I think that with this situation, there. I mean, usually in horror movies, I tend to like hopeless endings because they just tend to, like, res, like they're residual for me. Yeah. And I feel like in this case, this is a hopeful ending, only in as much as, like, if Frank helps her through this, she's going to be fine. Yeah, she'll be, she'll be fine. And he but, seems like a good enough. He seems like a good enough man, as it stood in the movie. Yep. To to do that for her, I feel the same way about horror films. Like yeah. I like the ones where everyone has to deal with their with their actions. Well, and you can have bittersweet endings. Yeah. I think that uh, Honey Hill House did that. The Orphanage mm-hmm. uh, does the bittersweet ending really really well. Uh, but if you want to go with bleak endings, the actual ending of The Descent. Yeah. yeah. Like, I hate watching The Descent and there's the happy ending version where she gets away that leads into... And the then they go back too. into the actual ending, yeah. I like the actual <laughs> ending. I think that it's, it's, it's terrifying and it's good. It has repercussions. Mm-hmm. So, Tanner, we, we're overall... I know we've already given 
our thoughts earlier. Yeah. But we've now discussed it. Has anything changed for you? Do you like it more? Do you like it less? I actually, my opinion stands. I think that it's a, I think that it's a great film. Yeah, I think that with better editing, it could have been great. I think it's only, for me, it's only good. Yeah. I think I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, I think great's overshooting it. I mean, I, I don't yeah. think, I think that it's a movie I'm going to talk about, but I don't think it's a movie that I'm going to talk about with people who don't watch movies. Yeah. And I think that I can see where you would be able to t- pick apart this movie brutally. If yes. This is not your thing. If you wanted to sit down and look at this movie and just be like, that's wrong, yeah. that's wrong, I don't it's like, like that. Yeah, you got, that's you bad got shot. discount Han Solo fighting the garbage pail kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, you definitely can. You can do that. I think that for me, the things that I enjoy and what this movie had to offer was, was good for me. Yeah. Um, I think that we've said everything that we need to say. Yeah. So as far as our social media goes, again, you can find us at EVR Pod on Twitter. You can, we are now on multiple podcast platforms, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Whenever you told me we were on Spotify, that was, that was a hit. Say, yeah. uh, I've, I need to verify all these, but I think that we're on Stitcher mm-hmm. and uh, Spotify and a couple of other places, which is exciting. Yeah. That's the, really exciting. I mean, by the time that you listen to this, it's going to be on there for a while but yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh as far as like our other social media you can find me at nate corin uh you can find tanner at bickle fox yeah again yeah big b at twitter little b at instagram and if you can figure out what movie that's referencing i'll give you points yeah so like yeah. we're a british panel show yeah <laughs> uh so with nothing else you guys have a fantastic time yeah. And feel proud for me for not busting out any Canadian accents, given that this was all filmed in Toronto. True that. Um, (laughs) And yeah, and go watch movies, enjoy what you're enjoying. If you can, contact your, you know, small part artists and tell them you enjoyed what they made. Yes. As always, thank you for going to the movies. Do whatever you can. All right. You guys have a great night.